This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Imagine this. You are a parent who has made the exhausting journey from South America to Chicago. You've enrolled your child in elementary school and you found a temporary place to stay in a city shelter. But you know that you will be forced to leave that shelter by February 1st. Now, luckily, you find an apartment in time, but it's over an hour away from your kid's school on public transit. So you're faced with a choice. Do you uproot your kid who's already facing so much change and find a new school near your apartment? Or do you somehow make that commute as you're also trying to find a job to support you and your family? Well, there's actually a third option here, which is to apply for yellow bus service. What if you didn't even know that was a choice? Well, that was the experience for one mother that Chalkbeat reporter Rima Amin spoke with, but she isn't the only person in the city that's facing this issue. Rima's here with us in studio to discuss the rights that migrant students have when it comes to education. Welcome back, Rima. Thank you so much. So we talked earlier about how only students with disabilities and homeless students are being bused to school this year in my previous conversation. How do the migrant students fit into that? Right. So Chicago Public Schools says that most migrant students are also considered homeless. And the legal definition for that is uh, you're, you know, you're living in shelter or if you're living in a public place or if you're doubled up with relatives um, okay. or, or, you know, a, another family, you're sharing space. Yeah. Um, and so because of that, those students, most migrant students are have been considered um, as homeless and they have certain education rights that are afforded to them according to federal law, which includes the right to transportation. Mm. I I referenced the experience there in my intro of of one parent that you wrote about in your story uh, called, you called her Daniela, right? This is a a pseudonym that you use to protect her privacy. Uh, But before speaking with you, uh, Daniela didn't know her rights. That's right. Um, So Daniela was at a downtown shelter and she was, uh, luckily she and her son, um, and a couple other relatives had secured an apartment with the help of Catholic Charities in South Shore. Um, but they, you know, when I talked to her, I met her and I talked to her and I asked her, well, how are you guys going to get to school? She actually thought that she would be attending school in a different school district. She didn't know that she would still oh, be okay. yeah, in CPS. So I kind of, you know, told her that there are these federal rights. Um, your, you know, your son has the right to continue attending his school of origin, which in federal law is just the school that you've been attending before you might leave a shelter. Um, And that also um, CPS provides a bus pass for them to get to and from school, which they had access to, but also that she had the right to apply for yellow bus service. Um, I see. And she said that the school had not informed her of that. Wow. Let's talk more about Daniela and her son. I mean, what is he like? about his current school. Yeah, so he he likes his teachers. It sounds like he's made some friends. Okay. Um, when I talked to him, he was he was pretty um, you know, timid in his responses mm-hmm. because uh, it seems like he's struggling a lot in school. He's uh, struggling to understand lessons. He said that- um, There's a language barrier? Yes, and that there aren't staffers that are, um, there are not always staffers that are helping translate um, conversations. And so he's a little bit mixed on the school, but his mother seems to really like it. The position that you've been put in as a reporter, right, having to inform your sources of of their rights, what was that like for you? It was it was an interesting experience and also a little nerve wracking because in the moment I thought, well, if if I'm going to be the bearer of information here, I better get it right. 
Um, thankfully, I had you know a chance to talk through that and catch myself if I was saying something incorrect <laughs> right, to them. Right. Um, but I I was taken aback and surprised that they that they didn't know that they had the right to apply for. Um, bus service. And it's kind of what we've been hearing that families may not know all their rights. And um, so in a way it was surprising yeah. in the moment, but when I reflected on it, it, it actually didn't seem that surprising. And has she landed on a decision? Uh, last I talked to her, she actually hadn't talked to the school yet, okay. letting them know that they're moving. So I'm not Just sure curious. what they're they're going to do. Well, in the story, you also talked with a father whose daughter attends the same school as Daniela's son. And he didn't know that he could keep his child in the same school once he moves. So actually, he um, his daughter attended another same name, Ogden, but um, another elementary school. Okay, so we've got multiple Ogdens. Right, that, that's right. Um, <laughs> okay. And she attends, you know, she, she's at another school. And um, she he actually, after I talked to him, um, they're moving to the same South Shore apartment building. After I talked to him, he said he went back to the school to ask about bus service, but that the school said, you know, that's going to take a really long time to set up. Mm. Um, and it, and he said that he was discouraged by that information. And so he's electing to uh, send his daughter to a school that's about 12 minutes walking distance from their apartment in South Shore. Um, and the school, Ogden Jenner, did not respond to Chalkbeat's request for, for comment. Uh, CPS also declined to comment specifically on Daniela's or Edgar's experience. That's right. Um, they, they did say that, you know, generally CPS provides, um, they, they have special liaisons at schools that are supposed to help inform homeless families of their education rights, um, including telling them that they have the option for younger students to apply for bus service. And I should emphasize that, that bus service, the option for bus service and applying for that mm -hmm. only applies to kids in grades kindergarten through sixth grade. Um, and so um, they've said that they, they do offer this information. They do have staffers that provide the information. Mm -hmm. uh, but based on these families' accounts, they, there's clearly some kind of communication breakdown yeah. going on. Yeah. I mean, and you've talked some about, you know, the federal law and what it recommends and CPS policy as we know it. I mean, I, just trying to understand more the motivation here behind keeping homeless students in their original school like why, why is it an issue yeah. that some migrant families don't know that this is an option yeah so the the point of the federal law is to ensure stability for a population of students that is already going through so much they might be going from shelter to shelter they might leave shelter five find permanent housing mm -hmm. and then might not be able to keep that home so it's meant to at least provide a point of stability aka school no matter where the family moves so they have the right to keep attending a school in uh, Humboldt Park, even if they move to South Shore, for example. Okay. And the law further requires districts to provide transportation for students, so there's no barrier for their schools. So when families don't know about those rights, they don't know that they have options to, again, decrease that instability. Mm -hmm. What falls under hardship transportation? Yeah, so hardship transportation is a fancy way to uh, talk about the yellow bus service that's okay. available. And what that means is that when families, when homeless families apply for this service, they have to prove that they can't accompany their child mm -hmm. on public transit using the bus passes that CPS gives to homeless families, which, by the way, does fulfill their legal ob obligation to provide transportation. Yeah. And so that includes that may mean that um, the parent of the, the homeless child is uh, working at the hours that they have to do the school commute. Or maybe they live in a shelter that doesn't allow the parent 
to leave at certain hours. They're, they can't leave another child unaccompanied at the shelter while doing a school commute. Um, myriad of reasons that, that they can try to prove in their application and then can be afforded bus service. But right now, out of the roughly 8,700 kids that this district is currently busing, just about 130 are homeless. We are also speaking on the day of the original deadline extension for right. the 60-day shelter limit. Now it's been moved to February 1st, as I mentioned, Rima. I mean, how will this limit affect the stability? You used that word earlier, the stability of migrant student schooling. Yeah, it's, that's a great question. Um, th I've talked to the Chicago Coalition for the Homeless um, and the director of the law project there, Patricia Nix-Hodes, has, has, you know, in conversations with her, she said that if you're a family that's being evicted from a shelter after 60 days, you might, you essentially have to get back in line for shelter if you don't have um, permanent housing. Or you might be like these families I've talked to for the story, you might have permanent housing that's really far away. So if you don't know, if you're figuring out where you're going to live and you don't know what's going on with school, it just makes things a lot more confusing. And it also you don't even know that you might, if you don't know that you have the right to keep attending that school or that you can apply for something like bus service, that family might have to once again, go through the enrollment process, figure out where their kid's going to school mm -hmm. on top of literally finding stable shelter. Goodness. And as we talked about all of the complications when it comes to communicating with these families, the language barriers, all of that, just uh, complicating things. What do we know about the number uh, the number of migrants that CPS has enrolled. I know there's some discrepancy there. Yeah, so the district for a while has said that they weren't tracking immigration status. Mm -hmm. uh, but recently, well, in November of um, last year, during a city council meeting, district officials said that they've begun to track, inter internally have okay. begun to track um, the number of migrant students. And at the time, they said that they'd enrolled, their tracker showed that they'd enrolled about 4,000 students. I would safely assume that that number has gone up since then, since, you know, we're, we're continuing to um, see new arrivals in the city. Uh, what about the Welcome Center that was established at uh, Roberto Clemente High School? That's a great question. And I believe at that meeting they shared um, a number of students that were being served there. I think it's somewhere in the hundreds. It might be it might be more than that. I did talk to a social worker uh, for this story who mentioned that even though that center exists to help migrant families navigate school and other resources, um, that many of the families she comes across don't don't even know that it exists. Wow. Uh, so, I mean, what stood out to you? I mean, you've been covering this for, for quite some time. We've had you on the program before. Uh, what stood out to you when it came to this story? I think what stood out to me was that um, in talking to the kids, they really, they like, the the father that I talked to, his daughter was holding a workbook from school. I mean, she was really excited to talk about school. And in mm. fact, the school that she will no longer be attending because they've moved. Um, the kids she, are adjusting a lot faster than the parents are. Th that that was exactly the point I was about to make. It seemed like even with all of this, I was talking to them at a dinner for homeless families. Like they're experiencing so much instability, but these kids clearly like going to school. Mm -hmm. um, but I was struck by, I think that there's a really difficult task actually here in front of the district to inform families. It's really hard on top of meeting all of their other needs. Mm -hmm. um, and while I think probably schools are doing their best, that this there's such a heavy communication barrier 
that it really got me thinking about what are the most effective ways to make sure that families know about all of the resources that are resources that are in front of them. What a complicated web. Yes. Yeah. We'll leave it there. That's Chalkbeat reporter Rima Amin. Thank you so much, Rima. Thank you so much.